This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda, our podcast, Spirit Matters Talk, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, Dr. Robert Atkinson. He is an internationally recognized authority in helping people tell their life stories. He is a pioneer in the development of the life story interview methodology and among the first to apply Joseph Campbell's classic work on the mythological journey of the hero to contemporary personal myth-making. Uh, he is, uh, his latest book, The Story of Our Time. Uh, Robert, thank you so very much for taking the time to come on and speak with uh, Phil and me today. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Uh, Bob, let's, um, we want to talk about your book and the uh, provocative um, thesis of the book, but let's uh, first talk about you and um, how you came to the work you do uh, as a, uh, a scholar and writer and teacher. Um, you had uh, some associations with some rather interesting people back in um, what must have been an interesting youth. Tell us how you came to the work you do. Yeah, it's, I can begin in a number of places, but uh, it kind of really... It goes back to my uh, childhood when I had, um, when my grandmother was living with us for a few months out of the year, and, and I was really, I was only nine years old at that time, and I was really taken by her devotion to her daily practice, and um, it didn't, I didn't really know what it meant to me at that point, but it uh, stuck with me, and it really uh, led me in a direction that ended up to where I am today, and uh, that that became a little more full-blown in college when I uh, majored in philosophy. And then I went in, uh, went on to uh, do my own independent study of the world's religions and got a master's degree in American folk culture and <clears throat> continued doing my own study of the world's religions. Uh, meanwhile, after I did my master's thesis on a uh, Catskill Mountain farmer singer, I met Pete Seeger, who was uh, at that time launching the Clearwater to sail up in the Hudson River to clean it up. And he invited me to come along on the maiden voyage of the Clearwater up from, from New York to Albany. And I ended up being the only non-singing crew member on that voyage uh-huh. and got to, got to send, uh, spend a whole, uh, uh, you know, live with uh, not only Pete, but other singers like uh, Ramblin' Jack Elliott, Don McLean, Gordon Bach, uh, a bunch of others. And um, we actually got to to Albany the weekend of Woodstock. So a few of us went over there. The captain of the sloop, uh, uh, David um, Anapu, uh, or Alan Anapu, knew, uh, knew David Crosby, so he wanted to go over to Woodstock and see him. So we're Went over there, and that was a, you can imagine what kind of experience that was there. But I, I spent the summer working with the Clearwater, and then that fall, I uh, Pete Seeger actually helped me find their cabin in the woods to live in that fall. And I, I did a research project for the sloop restoration uh, to build out the uh, history side of the, uh, of the traveling um, exhibit that followed the sloop up and down the Hudson River. And I interviewed a number of um, uh, 
family members of old sloop captains. And then that, that fall, I, I couldn't um, stay in the cabin through the winter because it wasn't heated. And I ended up being, uh, staying as a guest in a, in a nearby Franciscan monastery. And one evening I decided to go down into New York City and I was walking along 8th Street and I looked in the 8th Street bookshop window. Oh, I know that place. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, this book jumped right out at me and I went in to find the book in the store. And is that, I is that, 8th, is that 8th Street and 5th Avenue? Yeah, I believe so. I know the bookstore also, they yeah. <laughs> a lot of esoteric Yeah, that, that's a real, that's an iconic uh, bookstore for the, for the village. And um, so I was reading this book that I had pulled up the bookshelf, and I looked up at, at a bulletin board right in front of me, and there was a poster announcing a talk that evening by Joseph Campbell, whose book I was reading at that moment. And I looked a little bit closer at the, at the flyer and realized that um, I had just enough time to walk over a couple of blocks to uh, Cooper Union. Mm. And, I, and I got the book and walked over and sat down in the front row and um, the whole the great hall filled up all around me, and I started listening to Joseph Campbell, and it was just like he was. I was the only one in that great hall, but what he was saying made so much sense to me because that was what I was living at the time. He was talking about the uh, the pattern of the uh, the mythological journey of the hero, and so afterwards. I waited until everybody else had their chance to say hello to him. And I went up and introduced myself and just told him how much what he had to say meant to me because it was part of my experience. And he, and this was in 1970 before he had been on the Bill Moyers show and everything else. And, and at that time he was, <clears throat> he was really very warm and hospitable and, and encouraging. And, and he kind of took me under his wing and, uh, yeah. We ended up, I mean, he ended up inviting me over to his home. I, I visited him a couple of times at, its, at his uh, Waverly Place uh, home. And uh, it was just, a, he, he became my, my, sec, my uh, second major mentor of mm. that period in my, in my life after Pete Seeger. Then Joseph Campbell came along. And, and he was, um, they, they were both just so remarkable to be with and to, learned from directly and uh, not so much by how they were known, but what they did and, and what they said in a, in a personal way, uh, mm-hmm. they were also real, uh, and, and, and supportive. Right. So mm-hmm. I was, uh, that got me off to my start and, uh, in this direction. And, um, I continued my studies on my own and then, uh, some other adventures after that, and ended up uh, completing my doctoral work at the University of Pennsylvania in cross-cultural human development. Good, and, and that's where we want to segue to. To uh, <laughs> that, that's a illustrious beginning to to your career and work, Dennis. Did you? Yeah, yeah. Let me, I, I wanted to back up a minute. Uh, I believe you said in, the, yeah. in uh, a bit ago that uh, you stayed with your grandmother and you were very. Yeah. Uh, uh, very um, taken by her, uh, impressed by her uh, commitment to her practice. Uh, what practice was yeah. that? And, and uh, tell us about what you meant there. Yeah, that was when I was growing up. I was nine years old, which would have been uh, you know, the, uh, 
mid fifties or so, and and she was um, fairly traditional for her for that time, and for, so she was her her daily practice was to read the Bible in the upper room every day privately, uh-huh. even though even though she left the door to her room open, I could I knew what she was doing, and and it was it could have been you know leaving the door open could have been a way for her to let let me know this young impersonal child that uh, there is something uh, that there is uh, such a thing as a daily practice whatever it might be uh, and for her uh, I was just uh, I mean that that's what it was for her and I was just taken by that uh, her, her commitment to that uh, mm. that practice interesting um, I'd love to know you know briefly uh, what the overall impact uh, on your orientation to uh, life at that time, uh, Joseph Campbell had because um, um, that those the Cooper Union series of lectures that he gave uh, you uh, that you stumbled into were uh, historic events really and and um, I believe led to uh, one of his books became the um, basis of. The power of myth, or one of those, but he is—he is famously, you know, one of the uh, leading proponents of perennial philosophy and the mm-hmm. unity of of all the world, world storytelling and the world's religious traditions. Did that is that the kind of orientation that led you to the work you do? It, it is very much so. Um, it, it's it's amazing how much uh, be, uh, being in the midst of that mythological journey myself, and then and then learning from him directly as well as his writings, how much of an impact that really did have on me at that time. So, one of the uh, uh, one of my visits to his Greenwich Village home included him giving uh, giving me a signed copy of the the Master of God uh, Creative Mythology, the final volume in the series that he. He spent many years working on, and and one of the uh, uh, like in the dedication part of that book, he wrote something that really stayed with me and became a, a, a signpost and and direct uh, you know served as a way to direct my uh, journey from then on. He said um, in in writing that series, the Mass of God, he said. A thought I have long and faithfully entertained of the unity of the human race, not only in its biology, but also in its spiritual history, which is everywhere unfolded in the manner of a single symphony, with its themes irresistibly advancing to some kind of mighty climax. And um, that—that's definitely the uh, the kind of uh, basis of what has become my worldview. And, and the other, uh, interestingly, I'm now in um, a little town right next to Pacifica Graduate Institute, which is where his his works are held now. Yeah. And I picked and I picked up a bookmark from there the other day with another of his quotes that um, that that addressed that same that same theme. He also said, "The only myth." that is going to be worth thinking about in the immediate future is one that is talking about the planet, not the city, not these people, but the planet and everybody on it. That's my main thought for what the future myth is going to be. So, yeah, he, he definitely uh, led me in that direction I am today with those kinds of, 
uh, understandings. Mm. Uh, are, are you, uh, uh, Robert, uh, optimistic about what's taking place now or, or pessimistic? <laughs> when we look at the world, and, and obviously, uh, I, I believe Phil, uh, we, we, Phil and I both share uh, your, your, uh, your desire for a, a, a better world. Uh, but how are you feeling now? Not, not just about looking at what's going on lo uh, locally, just in the States, uh, with, with, with politics and all of that, but internationally, uh, you, you can focus on good and bad, but ultimately, do you think we're moving in a good direction or a bad direction? Because I think you can make an argument for both. Oh, yeah, definitely. You can make an argument for either one, depending on the perspective you're coming from uh, in making it. Uh, but I, I do have... I do happen to uh, hold a very uh, optimistic uh, viewpoint, and, and, I, and I'm, my, my hope is that the book becomes a source of hope for people around, around this kind of issue. Or but but question. tell us, tell us uh, why you're optimistic. Yeah, um, it, it really, I mean, I, I and, and this new book, um, The Story of Our Time, really takes a, takes a big picture look at what is going on. I mean, if we get, if we get lost in the immediate um, goings-on of the day, it does become overwhelming. But if we take a big-picture look uh, and kind of step back and look at evolution from a, a long-term perspective, we can easily see how, how we are evolving toward, uh, uh, fr from a consciousness of duality toward a consciousness of, uh, to, to a recognition of the interconnectedness of all things and ultimately to a consciousness of oneness. Uh, there's a real uh, uh, thread throughout evolution and throughout our history that, that takes us there. And, and so you referred to this earlier, it's, uh, it's all in, it's all a uh, major part of the, the, the perennial philosophy and the, and the uh, great chain of being. Uh, that's another stream of thought that is very uh, hopeful and optimistic because of its um, basic premise that um, evolution is, is progressive and evolution is, um, is it's, uh, built upon the concept of perpetual progress. Even though, as we're seeing today, there are um, ups and downs and, and dips and leaps I mean, there are what I guess we could call both dips in consciousness and leaps in consciousness. And uh, we're in the midst of a time where those two uh, parts of the process are converging. And so uh, getting, getting, seeing it only from the perspective we're in today is really what I would think of as short-sighted. Uh, we can look back to see how we've got to this point, and we can also take that and, and look ahead into the future to how we're going to um, eventually get to a place that all the world's wisdom traditions have, have um, seen uh, where we will be, we are living into a time of peace on earth. It's, it's going to, I mean, no one can say how long it's going to take to get there and what else, what other kinds of uh, difficulties there'll be along the way. But it's really up to us, and the, and the uh, bottom line is that it, this, the, the dips that we're experiencing right now are a, a really critical call to action on the part 
of of any and all of us. Let, let's who, let's get you to elaborate on a couple of those points. Um, first, <clears throat> you're not the only person who thinks you know sees that uh, the, the humanity has evolved uh, in consciousness uh, gradually uh, toward a more um, pluralistic and uh, globalized uh, con- state of consciousness where we see uh, more of the unity. You've documented that, the pathways to that in, in your book. Um, and at the same time, you just said, uh, it's up to us. Um, now, a lot of people who sort of look at the overall thrust of evolutionary history make it sound as though the kind of uh, unified awareness and sense of uh, kinship that you point to is inevitable. You're saying, no, it's up to us. Um, How does the individual action and the collective action uh, play into what might be seen as a kind of abstract process of evolution? Well, it is up to us in the sense that um, where we collectively and individually end up is is ultimately based upon a a perspective and uh, and an attitude. And so in the book, I have a a chart that is about how the consciousness continuum can lead to opposite outcomes. And Mm -hmm. so we we might say that right now the prevailing uh, attitude is one of uh, pragmatism. And if we start out with that pragmatic-centered perspective, that's going to lead to generalizations, stereotypes, bias, prejudice, oppression, racism, and and ultimately war, as we've seen many times over. But in the opposite direction on that consciousness continuum, if we start out with a principle-centered perspective or an inner state that's supported by a spiritual or moral attitude, we go in the opposite direction because that will lead to to respect, appreciation, equality, cooperation, unity, and ultimately peace. Now, would, would, really, can I interrupt, Bob? Wouldn't that depend on which principles are mm-hmm. at the center mm-hmm. of the perspective? Definitely, yeah. And so that's our that's really our collective task and challenge is to identify and and choose to live by the universal spiritual principles of our time. And that's going to, just that by itself, could take uh, generations, maybe even centuries, but um, that's what it's going to take, is a, is a collective recognition that the, these are the spiritual principles, not only the spiritual principles, but the universal spiritual principles of our time that we all need to to live by mm-hmm. in order to get to that to that ultimate objective of, of peace, of right. unity and peace. Right, Robert. Uh, like your grandmother, do you have a spiritual practice <laughs> or practices that uh, allow you to uh, spiritually uh, uh, grow and evolve? I like to think. I do. I mean, I'm not as, uh, I may not be as, as, as uh, uh, committed or devoted as my grandmother was, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I do try a uh, daily practice of prayer and meditation. 
and also uh, reading reading the sacred writings of all the world's traditions. Uh, and that, that's, uh, I, you know, those kinds of things, as well as um, as regular practice of, of walking in nature and, and reflecting. I, I, I like to do what I think of as, as walking meditation mm-hmm. as well. So those are some of my practices. Bob, um, you have, uh, in, in looking over your book, uh, one of the uh, sub subheads in uh, one of the chapters uh, is, Did Darwin Discover Divinity? Right. Other than the, the lovely alliteration, um, that's very intriguing. Uh, what do you yeah. mean by that, and what is, how do you answer the, the question you pose? Yeah, great. Um, uh, Darwin's an interesting guy, and I don't think we uh, know him as well as we should. But um, so one thing to know about Darwin is that um, before he went off on the on the uh, Beagle with all of his um, explorations, he he started out in divinity school, and uh, but that didn't last uh, long enough for him to get his get his degree because he went off and became a scientist instead, but he had that, that start or that foundation. But the, but, um, and I think that's what led him to, uh, to recognize certain things that nobody else had before, that no other scientists had before, really. And we tend to think of Darwin not only as the discoverer, or not, not the discoverer, but the one who, who um, made the concept of evolution a popular one that became part of our regular everyday discourse. But but he but beyond that concept of evolution, he had a and also beyond his idea of the uh, survival of the fittest, he had a, uh, a understanding of evolution that went from the most microscopic to the most universal. Uh, just. As an example, one of his um, statements from from the descent of man that is is not as recognized as it sh- as as much recognized as it should be. He said, "As man advances in civilization and small tribes are united into larger communities, the simplest reason would tell each individual." that he ought to extend his social instincts and sympathies to all members of the same nation, though personally unknown to him. This point being once reached, there is only an artificial barrier to prevent his sympathies extending to the men of all nations and races. Now that, that to me is an expression of the golden rule writ large mm. mm-hmm. and and I mean he in a way he sounds very similar that that particular quote sounds very similar to the kinds of things that uh, Martin Luther King might have said or other people like that and and his the other part of his concept of evolution that's not as well understood as it should be is that um, he, he believe he clearly believed that um, Evolution is progressive, and um, uh, he said he said that um, species and uh, evolve toward perfection. 
Now, there's a we we know now that that's more uh, truthful than even Darwin would have known at that time. Uh, interestingly, there was a there was a release of spiritual energies right around the same time that Darwin was coming out with his theories. That of the the Baha'i revelation came came during during Darwin's lifetime. Um, we're getting and, we're getting some extraneous noise from somebody. Who uh, I don't know what's going on, but can you try to be a little careful, both of you? I haven't been hearing it. Now I'll see if it's in the recording. But go ahead. Continue, Bob. Yeah. So, so to parallel and maybe even um, be part of an inspiration of of Darwin's thinking, uh, the Baha'i revelation says. All beings, whether large or small, were created perfect and complete from the first, but their perfections appear in them by degrees. In the seed, all perfections exist from the beginning, but appear little by little. The shoot, the branches, leaves, blossoms, and fruits, all these things are in the seed, potentially, though not apparently. So it's it's about, uh, and that's the concept of, progressive evolution mm-hmm. in, its, um, in its essence. Robert, you mentioned that during uh, the period of Darwin, spiritual energy was being released in the, uh, in the Baha'i faith uh, or the teachings of Baha'u'llah. Uh, is there any spiritual energy being released today? And uh, where is it coming from, if, if it is coming from anywhere? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I mean, I, I think... Um, Again, we have to look at it from a really big perspective and, and understand that um, when there is spiritual energy released from a new uh, great uh, teacher like, like um, Krishna, Moses, Zoroaster, Christ, uh, Muhammad, and Baha'u'llah, they're not just uh, released for that moment. They're released for an entire spiritual epoch, which as we also know, lasts many centuries, if not a millennia or more. And so those spiritual energies are always out there and during that particular spiritual epoch. And they're being picked up by people like Darwin and everybody else, anybody else can be picking them up at any time from the beginning of that release well, um, well into uh, you know, centuries after. And so... So we're only a century, a century and three quarters into the release of the latest uh, revelation, and there being the, the the effects of those spiritual energies are being picked up uh, all around the world mm-hmm. still today. Bob, um, we are recording this two days before the inauguration of Donald Trump. By the time people listen to this, he will presumably be President Trump. And a lot of people uh, have great trepidation about the future and see uh, what's happening uh, politically as a sign not of evolution but as a step backward. Um, I'm curious about your take on on that. And uh, one of the other chapters in your book or one of the sections is uh, called headed opposition as a catalyst for transformation and you talk about the necessity of adversity. 
Could you uh, elaborate on that in the context of the current situation? Yeah, I'll try to try to do that. I mean, it's a, it's a very. Uh, I'm getting a lot of big static too, but um, uh, it's um. I'm not, I don't know if it's, I'm not moving anything. I don't well, I, I can say, and I'm recording from here, I'm not hearing any of the noise or static, so I'm hoping that um, uh, uh, your voice both coming through clearly. I haven't heard anything okay. extraneous, so let's hope that's in the recording and we'll review it. And for our listeners out there, if I don't hear it, uh, hopefully you will uh, hear it. And so uh, we'll go, let's just keep going because it's not being picked up from the recording uh, side. Okay, thank you. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, it's a, I mean, it, it's definitely a, a, a critical moment in time, and, and um, I do think that um, ad, uh, adversity is part of a spiritual principle that, that uh, leads to transformation. So it, it's partly a matter of, of um, how, how difficult or how... how um, uh, bad things will get before they start getting better, but um, we. But based on that spiritual principle of um, of opposition is a catalyst to transformation. We know that, um, especially with the clash of opposites, uh, that will lead to ultimately to transformation. It, it's just a, a matter of how difficult it gets uh, during that that process of the clash. Of opposing views and and I mean there there always is that that danger that things could get really bad before they get better, but if we let, allow the if we have the, the concept and allow that to play out, we know we understand that it eventually will mm-hmm. lead to a continuation of progressive evolution or perpetual progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, and, and that comes back to why it's so important for everybody to to play a role in this uh, really critical time to make sure that uh, things don't get uh, too bad or you know as bad as they could get. Uh, it's really up to us to make it a, to make it as smooth as smooth as possible uh, transition and transformation through this time to a, to a time when when uh, things will be. Be recognized more recognizable as moving forward uh, towards the uh, ultimate uh, destination of, of unity. Right. I, I certainly uh, hope that you're correct. Uh, my, my intuition, or maybe it's my wishful thinking, uh, agrees with you. And, and I do think uh, we are very affected by, affected by the media and what's reported to us. So there might be much more good going in the world, on in the world, than is being brought to our awareness by uh, the variety of uh, sources uh, uh, that bring us information, newspapers, TV, whatever like that. So I, I'm certainly uh, hoping for the best. Ro- uh, Robert, I did want to ask you one last question. And, and I often think of like maybe young people listening into our podcast. And early in your life, you went on a journey, not, not only a spiritual journey, but a, an actual journey where you went, uh, you know, you sailed with, with, uh, Pete Seeger, you visited uh, Woody, uh, uh, Arlo Guthrie, you, you lived in a, uh, a Franciscan monastery, you went from place to place. Uh, how important do you think that is, if you're speaking to young people, that they take some period of their life and have some adventure, if, if they can possibly do so, like you did? 
Yeah, thanks for that question. That's great. I mean, I, I was fortunate that it happened uh, kind of spontaneously. And as soon as I just um, knew that I had to go where I was led and drawn. And, and But it is that whole process and experience of, of having an adventure like that is so critical. And I, it, it may be one of the things that um, is getting lost in our world today. It's so important for young people to to do that because what it, what it is, it's a process of consciously um, knowing where you're going, why you're headed that way, maybe not knowing totally everything at the moment, but being, being um, you know, living deeply enough to know that you are being led somewhere and that the ultimate uh, process is about uh, coming to your own personal sense of what what makes sense what and what's right what what's wrong uh, and and that's such just such a critical process I mean that that's really what my the first chapter of the book is about um, and, the, and the first principle of consciousness the potentiality set in motion by an organic process uh, if we don't allow our own unfolding to happen in that kind of way, we really can lose out on, on, a, on a deeper meaning of life and and, uh, and not experiencing what what uh, is known as the call in mythology uh, it, it can can really uh, 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 end up having people live more on the surface of, of life rather than mm-hmm. in its depths. And so it's a really critical, uh, you know, the, the search, that's really what expands our consciousness, is the search for our own personal and collective truth. And that's another reason why I chose the title that I did. It's so important for everybody to discover on their own what the story of our time is, that they're living in their life today, and that everybody else may be as well. It's so important to know that, to know, first of all, our own personal story, and second of all, our own our, our collective story that we all share. Mm-hmm. Okay, Bob. One last question as a parting uh, shot to our audience, or a parting gift, I should say. Um, <laughs> can you give us, in a sentence or two, uh, one thing you would like uh, to advise our listeners to do to uh, serve as catalysts for? the uh, evolutionary process you outline in, in your book? Yeah, that's a really important one, too. Um, I mean, there's so many things we can each do. We have to find what works best for us. But I, I think, it, again, with the big picture part of it, uh, I, I like to think that we're all, all of us, whether we know it or not, are part of the global movement of our time. And I, I happen to think that that global movement of our time is about building a culture of oneness. So if, if people can look into that, discover whether or not and how that is the case for each, each of us, uh, then, then our challenge and responsibility really is to become part of that global movement of our time and figure out how we can each contribute to building a culture of oneness. Thank and you. Go ahead. Okay, that was it. All right, Robert, thank you so very much uh, for your time. And again, we recommend uh, the book, 
the story of our time, author Robert Atkinson, our guest today. Thank you so much, Robert. Thank you. Good luck, Bob, and um, we will have this up on the website with your contact information, your website, and a link to your book and all the usual stuff. Great. Thanks a lot, Phil. I really appreciate it. Thank Hope you. it came out okay. Great. <laughs> all right. Great. Thanks very much. Right. Yeah.